Let me ask you something as, as I kind of begin this morning. How many of you order your life or kind of live your life by some type of organizer or a planner? I would imagine that most of us do. You know, I've got this one here. It's a 31-day planner, and I've used it for the last couple of years, and it's been very, very helpful. At the beginning of the month, it has goals, so I can set out uh, 31 days of goals if I want to, and it just has everything that I need uh, to help me uh, navigate life and keep things from I used to use a day timer, and so over the years, I've used quite a a few different varieties of day timers. Some of you now, and I even use this, uh, I have a an app on my uh, on my phone where I can I can put different categories in there. I have a home category, and I have a a hobby category, and I have a motorcycle category. I have all of these categories, and what I can do is I can put them on there, put all these on there, and what it does is it keeps my life organized. It tells me what I've done in the past. tells me what I need to do. Uh, I can even set an alert. will uh, let me know, okay, today you need to be doing this, or today uh, you need to be doing this. So it's, it's really helpful to keep my life organized and keep me moving in the right direction, especially if you want to be effective and successful in certain areas of my life, if I want to be successful in my personal life. Uh, I want to be successful in trying to get all the projects around home. I, I want to make that my, my business, my professional life. We have a tendency to want our lives to be organized. We want our lives to go according to plan, don't we? Yet we know that life doesn't always go according to plan. There's a lot of brokenness in our world. And if you look at the life of Jesus, we know the life of Jesus. Jesus knew he was going to the cross. He knew that he was going to the cross, and he was going to offer himself as a sacrifice for sin. He knew exactly what he had come to do. But in the midst of the, the daily activities of life, in the midst of Jesus knowing that he was going to go to the cross and offer himself as a, a, a sacrifice for sin, all of these people and events and all of these circumstances begin to creep, come into his life, and to interrupt his life in a mighty and a powerful way. Sometimes when you look at Jesus, you kind of wonder, did he have any other plan in life? Or was he just kind of meandering, going from person to person, stop to stop, place to place, with no ultimate plan? Gospel. Gospel, if you look at the very beginning of the Gospel of Mark, Jesus has traveled to Capernaum. It's his home. Basically, it's going to be his hometown. It's a Sabbath day. So he goes up, and on the Sabbath day, he's handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And as he's speaking, all of a sudden, there's a man in the congregation who is demon-possessed, and he begins to shout out. He begins to speak, and Jesus casts out this demon in the midst of a worship service, interrupting his life. Didn't even know that that was going to happen. And then he leaves, and then as he leaves, he goes to Peter's house. And as he at Peter's house, he's gathered together with all of the people, and all of a sudden, Peter comes and says, listen, my, my mother-in-law is sick. She's not feeling well. And so what he does, he takes her to the upper room, and he pulls her aside, and he begins to heal her. And when you look at the Gospel Mark, and you look at the text, all of a sudden it says this. At the end of that chapter, it talks about Jesus standing at the door, and the whole town is coming to him in a way wanting something from Jesus. Matthew chapter 1, verse 30, or Mark chapter 1, verse 33 says this. The whole town gathered at the door. He healed and cast out many, many demons. That's the way the gospel of Mark begins. Jesus, knowing ultimately as the Son of God, that he was going to go and offer himself as a sacrifice fin, as he goes and he struggles to go to the, to the cross, all of these interruptions and all of these things begin to creep into his life and to change him and change the people he would talk to. And when you think about his life, when you consider his life, that he's a model for us and all the different things that happen in his life, we realize that Jesus' life, a lot of times, is interrupted by 
the hurting people. People came to Jesus with every, every new sickness and disease, leprosy. A father grieving over the loss of his daughter. A woman who had a bleeding condition. All of these things going on. And it talks about the life of Jesus. And in the midst of his daily plans, in the midst of all of these things going on in Jesus' life, we recognize that there's a lot. There's a lot of suffering people in the world. And you and I, many times, our lives are interrupted by people who are suffering in a mighty, powerful way. Are we opening our lives to them or are we closing our, our lives? And because what we want to do is we want to hang on to our plans. We want to hang on to all the things that are important to us. We tend to forget that there are suffering people out there. When you look at the life of Jesus, they were always asking him. Always asking him to do something. You know, people ask you to do something all the time. You get irritated at times. People always ask you to do something, requests in your life. Lord, have mercy on my son. He's demon-possessed. Come heal my daughter. She's dead. Lord, save us. We're drowning. Lord, help, help, my, help my son. A, a demon has come to destroy him. People were constantly coming to Jesus with requests, demanding of his person, demanding of his time, demanding something from him. I think the, the, the lesson, again, for us is this, that we're going to have people who are going to come to us, and they're going to ask us to do certain things. Are we so focused on our purposes and plans in our life that we do not allow for the interruptions? We do not allow for the disruptions, or the, the, the disruptions in life that come upon us that allow us opportunities, maybe divine opportunities, to be able to be a resource and a help to people, suffering people, people with requests. What about spiritual battles? You ever see people around you in a spiritual battle? And I see a lot of my friends going through really difficult times. Think about the life of Jesus. He begins his, he begins his, his ministry 40 days and 40 nights, and he does battle with Satan. And, and then he does battle with the religious leaders. And then he does battle with all of these other people. At some point, they come and they want to take his life. They want to force him to be king, but they also want to take him. They want to drive him off a cliff. They want to kill him. And when we look at the life of Jesus, we look at all the different things going on. He's trying to move and he's trying to operate, knowing that people out there are trying to take his life. And there are many spiritual battles that he had to go through in order to navigate life. In the midst of our daily plans, do we really recognize the people around us who are probably going through spiritual battles? Maybe they know Jesus, maybe they don't know Jesus. Maybe there's a struggle in that. Are we so wrapped up in our purposes and plans that we close our hearts to hurting people around us who may be suffering? Maybe you're asking a request of a, maybe something of our time, something for us. Each of these opportunities that Jesus had, seemingly random opportunities, as he goes from place to place, so he goes from person to person, was an opportunity for him to minister in a mighty and powerful way. In the book of John, it says, they look at Jesus and he's full of what? He's full of grace and truth. Everywhere Jesus went, he was full of grace and he was full of truth. He operated within those principles of extending grace to people and yet pointing them ultimately to the word of God. And you and I live in a broken world. We live in a broken world. We look around and we go, we scratch our heads. Wow, what's the solution out there? I mean, I don't have the solution for the big things in life, the big problems in life. Afghanistan is just... It's heartbreaking, isn't it? Haiti, heartbreaking. We're looking out and we're seeing all these heartbreaking things and we have our purpose and we have our plans and we want to move forward and that's a good thing to do. The Bible never says don't plan. But it does say this. Be available to people. Open your heart, your mind, your resources, your time, your talent. Open what you have. Open what God has given you to other people so that you can be a resource of grace and mercy. Let me ask you a question when it goes to purpose and plan. 
Do you know the exact time you fell in love with your spouse? Did you plan that out? I, I was in a singles class of over 120 singles, right? That's a lot of singles, right? A lot of opportunities for me to be able to date and find a spouse. You know how God brought my spouse along? February 14th, she visited on a Valentine's Day. She just visited our class. She came in. I said hi to her. She said hi to me. Didn't think anything of it. Two weeks later, the pastor of the class says, by the way, there's a gal that you met a couple weeks ago. You want to go out on a date with her? We'll just kind of have fun? That's how I met my spouse. There was no plan there, no spontaneity there. God, in a way that we cannot think or imagine, works in ways that we cannot think or imagine when we give our lives to him. Did you plan out your child's first words? First steps, were you there when all of that? Well, we tend to be people who like to plan, we like order, we like all of these things, but a lot of times life goes about in what? An unplanned play. It's unplanned. Some of you are sitting there going, I'm making plans for lunch right now. <laughs> I get that. But you know, I can say with confidence, you have no idea what the future holds. You have no idea what's going to happen when you step off this slide. None of us do. And what we need to do is we need to realize and recognize that God wants to give us wisdom as we go about our daily lives. He wants us to have wisdom for living. A man by the name of Mark Buchanan, he he gave me this quote in in a book, and and I've, I've always remembered, and this is what he said. He said, of all the events that have shaped you most lastingly, how many did you engineer, manufacture, or chase down? And how many of them were merely interruptions in your life? Jesus interrupts our life and asks and invites us to simply follow him. And it's called a life of faith. It's a journey of faith that we do not ultimately know where it will take us day in and day out. But it's a journey. And it's exciting and it's a powerful journey. And what I believe what we have in James chapter 4, verse 13 through 17, is a way for you and I to practically live out our lives in the midst of a changing culture, a changing society around us. And I think what, what James does is this. He's been with Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He saw the life of Jesus. He saw all these things going on with Jesus. And I think what he does is when he's writing to these 12 tribes that have been dispersed, when he's writing to these Jewish people who have an understanding of the nature and the character of God, he's saying, listen, don't be arrogant. Don't be arrogant the way you live. In other words, when you make purposes and plans and things for your life, don't just go about doing them. Make sure you include the framework, the nature, the character of God, and what he would have for our lives. And that's kind of what I want to look at this morning. Wisdom for living, guidelines, biblical guidelines from, for living in the book of James. Uh, Terry read our, our, our uh, scripture this morning. But let, let's just begin. Let's just walk through it and see what the Lord would have to say this morning. Number one, three principles. Number one, a, a wise person considers. If you want to be wise, I want to be wise. A wise person considers what we just talked about. Life doesn't always go the way it plans. Life doesn't always go the way that you planned it out to be. And you know what? That's okay sometimes because you're not in charge and you're not the boss. You look at life like this. God looks at life like this. And what God is doing is ultimately he's conforming us into the very image of who he is and what he wants to do is he wants to use all of those things in our life to shape and model us after him. Notice what the text says. Notice what James says. And by the way, this is kind of rebuke. This is kind of rebuke. He's saying, listen, he's, James is getting in their faith. He's saying, listen, you're Jewish people. You know about all these things in the Old Testament. You about the nature. You know about the character of God. Now listen up, will you? That's what he begins in verse 13. Notice he says, now listen, you who say. 
Mm. You who say. In other words, you've got this framework about the way that you're living your life and the way that you're speaking. You who say, today or tomorrow, we're going to go to this city, we're going to go to that city. We're going to spend a year there. We're going to carry on business. And what are we going to do? We're going to make money. Why? You don't even know what your life will be like tomorrow. What is your life? You're a midst that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Listen, James is not against planning. Go back and look at the book of Proverbs. It talks about planning. Jesus gave perils about planning, counting the cost, considering what going... Jesus says it's, it's okay to do that, but don't be presumptuous about the way that you're going to live your life. He's not against business leaders, visionary leaders gathering together, gathering their troops together, and, and making plans. He's not uh, against a family coming together. He's not against us making career plans. He's not against any of that. What he is against, this is don't be arrogant. Don't be prideful. Don't be so self-sufficient that you think you are at the center of all of life. And you kind of just, yeah, every once in a while I give a God thing in there. Lord, I'm getting ready to do this big thing. We haven't really inquired of him, but we want him to stamp his approval upon the plans that we have already made out. Lord, I'm going to do this. Will you you just bless my plans here? And what James talks about here in verse 13 is this. Do Do I really care about... God, who He is, and what He would have for us. Do I really believe that God cares about our plans? There's a song that they sang this morning. Who submits? Who, who am I? Do you live your life that way? Do you believe that God cares about your life? And that He wants you to give your life to Him? Are we always constantly making plans apart from who He is and what He would have for our life? Listen, we need to realize that Life doesn't go according to our plans. And let me give you three or four reasons from the text of why it doesn't. Number one, life doesn't go according to our plans because it's uncertain. Look at verse 14. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? His point to these people is this. Listen, you are making boasts. You are making proposals about going to this city or going to that city. We're going to spend X amount of time there. And what is? And we are going to make money. They are being so presumptuous about their lives, about their plans, they haven't even considered what God would have for their life. Let me ask you, do you have any surprises this week? Anything that popped up this week in your life that you didn't plan for? It happens in my life all the time. Things come up, pop up. We don't know what's going on. Remember the phrase, don't count your chickens before they're hatched? Yeah? All of us are familiar with that. I think there's another one. Um, expect the unexpected. Why, why, why do we do that? Because things pop up. Things happen and we, we don't know about them. This past week, they honored David Fries, who was a part of the Cardinals winning baseball team in 2011. Now, when I mention the name of David Fries, we, most of us know who David Fries is. He's the baseball player. But do you remember why we remember his name? Because they're playing the Texas Rangers. And, and I'm not sure exactly what the score was. It's tied or whatever. And I think it's Josh Hamilton, Texas Rangers, hits the ball over the fence, and now we're losing. And, and I, I distinctly remember at that moment in time thinking, oh, this is it. Man, there is just no way that we're going to make a comeback from this. And David Freeze's name becomes synonymous with what? Making a home run, getting us to the, to the next game. Why? Because we have no idea what tomorrow holds. Life is incredibly uncertain before us. 
Do you live your lives with an awareness that sometimes things are going to come into our life and it's going to push us and it's going to move us in a way that we don't necessarily think is in the right direction? But yet what we have to do is this. We have to trust the Lord that he's doing those things for our good. You may not think so. Proverbs 27.1 says this. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Listen, a wise person recognizes and realizes that life is incredibly uncertain. There's a second thing I think we can learn here. Life is complex. Do you know how complex life is? Look at verse 14 again. Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? What is the what that could happen tomorrow? Events, people, circumstances, things come into our life that we have no idea who they are, what they're doing. All of these things come into the what comes into our lives, and all of a sudden we're thinking about that we have to make different kinds of plans. You don't know what the when is, and you don't know what the what is, but God knows what is going on. Think about the life of Joseph. He has this dream he's going to be in charge. All of a sudden, what's he find? He's being sold into slavery. His own brothers, his own brothers betray him. Family betrays him. He goes to Egypt. He, he come, becomes involved in a household here where he distinguishes himself. And then he's thrown in prison for two years, and even more bad things happen to him. And all of a sudden, all of these bad things happen, and then he gets a voice with, with Pharaoh. He interprets a dream, and he's released. He's second in charge. So he goes from, from being sold into slavery to being second in charge. And at the end of the in Genesis chapter 15, God says, listen, the reason this happened is so that you can save a lot of people. All the what's, the where's, the things coming into life challenge us in ways that we can't think or imagine because we think we know and have control over our own lives. A few years ago, I was speaking, and at the end of the service, a man came up to me, and, and all I have is I just had this written down as an illustration. A man came up to me and he said, he said, listen, I work for this company, and we're in the process of hiring, of hiring two people. I don't even remember who it was. don't remember the exact service, but we're in the process of hiring two people. So I took it down, uh, took the note down, and I thought about there's, there's a, there was a person in our church who was looking for a job. And I said, listen, I don't know what's going to happen here. What I'm going to do is this. I, I'm going to give you this name, and number one, you check it out and see what happens. Well, he ended up being hired. And all that because I'm speaking on the subject. He comes to me, and he tells me about this job opening. And doesn't that happen many times with the Lord when we don't think or imagine what's going on? Life is incredibly uncertain. Life is complex, and yet God is fully able to move, maneuver all of those things out in such a way that it works out for us. Life is uncertain. Life is complex. Third thing is this. Life is really short. Life is really short. Didn't last very long, did it? This is glass cleaner, but it's an illustration of what? This is what the Bible describes my life is about. I'm, I'm a vapor. Look at that. It's, it's, it doesn't even last 10 seconds. It's there. You know, and, I, and I've got my life here. My, my life is really important. I love my life. I love my family. I love my, I, I love my life. I love this church. I love the opportunities that I have. But the Bible says, listen, you're here for just a moment. My life is just a vapor. It says this, you are amidst, verse 14, you are amidst that appears for a little while, and then what does it do? Then it vanishes. It's here today, gone tomorrow. My life is but a thing. And how am I living my life? Am I living my life so arrogantly? Am I living my life so sufficient? Am I living my life so proudly, thinking that I have life planned out and I'm going to move in this direction? Or am I living my life in such a way that my hands are open, saying, Lord, what are you going to direct in my life today? 
If, if, if life is a vapor and I'm not here very long, am I making the most of my life and how that I live? Psalm 39 says this. Show me, O Lord, the psalmist is asking, show me, O Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting is my life. You have made, known, you have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is as, is as nothing before you. Each man's life is but what? It's a breath. Are we living so self-sufficient and arrogantly that we've removed God from the equations of our life? the plans of our life, the purpose of our life, the way that we live. Most of us are familiar with the guy by the name of Steve, uh, Steve Jobs. Um, he created Apple, and he also worked with Pixar. In 2005, he was invited to give the commencement address to Stanford University. He died in 2011. I'm not sure that he knew that at that particular time in 2005. But in 2005, he gave the commencement address, and this is what he told to those Stanford graduates. This is what he said. Remembering that I'll be dead soon is the most important tool I've ever encountered to help me make the big choices in life. Here he says, listen, I know the end, and because I know the end, it challenges me to make right decisions. It helps me to know and prioritize my life. That's what James is saying. You're but a vapor. Because almost everything, all external expectations... All pride, all fear of embarrassment or failure, these things just fall away, what, in the face of death, leaving only what is truly important. Knowing that death is imminent, what do we do? We reorganize our life. We reprioritize our life. Why? Because life is just a vapor, and you have no idea what's going to happen. So I was on this motorcycle trip, and we left on a Friday week, a couple hours away, Friday night. And I'm sitting there, and there's about six or seven of us, another. Uh, most of them are all guys. And, and a guy came up to me. They, they know that I'm a pastor. I'm the, the preacher guy. And uh, he knows I'm a pastor. And he still comes up to me and he just texts me. He says, what's the word? Give me a word. And when he was asking me, he's like, and what, and what, what kind of message do you have for me? What, what is the Lord saying to you? That's the way that I said, what is the Lord saying to you? And man, it really caught me off guard. And I waited for about 10 seconds. And my mind went to Psalm 90. And I said, you know what? Psalm 90, the only psalm of Moses... Psalm 90, verse 12 says this, teach us to number our days that we might have a heart of wisdom. That's what I told him. I said, think about the life of Moses. He only wrote one psalm. He lived 40 years in the desert, taking millions of people out on an extended camping trip, and he watched thousands of people die daily. And here he is writing, teach us to number our days so that we can have a heart of wisdom. That was what I gave him. Two nights later, they got woke up in the middle of the night from a phone call that said one of their pastor friends had passed away. Listen, you do not know the beginning and the end of our life. We like to think we do. The Bible says this, that life is short. Life is but a vapor. You know, we, we need to remember that life is uncertain. There's complexities in life, that life is very, very short for us. And the last thing is this. I think that James pointed out is life is humbling. You ever been humbled by life? You ever been humbled? Notice what's happening in verse 16. And, and this is what James is speaking to. He's speaking to these people. Are they wealthy? I don't know. They seem to be the up-and-coming people. They seem to know what's going on. They have a lot of confidence in themselves. 
We're going to go to the city. We're going to move over here. We're going to make some plans. We're going to make some, and we're going to make some money. Notice what he rebukes in verse 16. He says this, As it is, you boast and brag, all such boasting is evil. What were they boasting about? They were boasting about, they're in their arrogance and in their pride, they're saying, listen, we are making plans for the future. We know what we can do in the future. We know what we are capable of in the future. We're going to go to this city. We're going to go to that city. We're going to land there. We're going to start a business and we are going to make money. And what James is very specific is saying is this. God has a way of humbling the proud. God has a way of humbling. Go back and look at the context of this. Right before the James chapter 4, he talks about being a friend of the world. It talks about God is opposed to the proud, but what? Gives grace to the humble. In other words, what we do when we leave God out of the equation of our lives, we open ourselves up to becoming prideful and boastful, thinking that we actually know better in life rather than living with humility, living with our arms open and saying, Lord, I'm going to include you in my plans today. I'm including you in the decision. I'm going to seek your face. I'm going to ask that you would go before me and help me as I navigate my life. In the book of Daniel, there is the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. In the book of Daniel, chapter 4, he's pretty high on himself. He, pre- he thinks he's pretty hot. Daniel, chapter 4, verse 29. Note what it says. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of his royal palace of Babylon, he said, is, this, is not this the great Babylon I have built as a royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? He thought he was pretty significant, didn't he? Look at what I have created. And you know what happens next. He spends a considerable time walking around like a madman. Why? Because God humbled the pride that was in his life. He thought he was the one who orchestrated all of this, and yet it wasn't him at all. It was actually God moving, working in his life to help him. Sometimes we find ourselves in a very humbling place in life. Maybe the job is gone. Maybe the relationship is gone. Maybe something else is gone. You know, in, in, in some ways, God has humbled us in life. And I believe that all of that is a reminder from the book of James to us that life is uncertain. Life is uncertain. Life is complex. Life is humbling at times. Life is short. And you and I, as we go about our days, as we go about our weeks, as we go about our years, we need to remember ultimately who God is and what he's done. And we need to bring God into the plans and organizations of our life. And not just do that waving as we kind of go by in life, as we make our plans. Are we seeking the Lord's desire for the places and plans and the decisions that are making our life, for your family, for your career? Are we inviting him into those kinds of decisions? That's what James is reminding us here. Number one, we need to be mindful that life doesn't go according to our plans. Number two that James points out is this. A wise person will live according to God's agenda. Look at verse 15. Instead, contrast. In other words, you were going this way, you're arrogant, you're pride. Instead, do this. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will do this or we will do that. That's what James says. First of all, he says, if it's the Lord's will, we will live. We will do this and we will do that. What this teaches us, what it simply reminds us of is this. My life is in God's hands. From beginning to end, my life is in God's hands. And I, am I going to live my life according to God's plans, knowing that he is the beginning and he's the author of my life? 
and he knows when my life is ultimately going to live. Psalm 139 talks about God ordains our life. Before there's any other days, he ordains all of my days. Before any of them comes together, he knows the beginning and he knows the end. He knows exactly what's going on in life. He's not surprised at who I am, what I've done. And am I living my life according to that kind of time frame? If the Lord wills, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to live. I'm going to exist. Do you realize that every day is a gift from the Lord? Every day is a gift. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. God's mercies are new. Every morning, Lamentations talks about, great is your what? Faithfulness. Every day, God is revealing himself to us in a mighty and powerful way. Am I living my life according to what he would have? Go back and examine the life of the Apostle Paul. Read the book of Acts, and how many times do you read from Paul, do you read from his life, if the Lord wills, I'm going to do this, and if the Lord wills, I'm going to go to Ephesus, and if the Lord wills, I'm going to go there. In other words, he's making plans, he's moving ahead, but what he's saying is, Lord, I'm going to give myself to you, and I'm going to trust you for the outcome of my life and for the direction of my life. Lord, what is it that you would have for me today, and where do you want me to go? James' point is this, that the, the nature and the character of who God is is to shape our mindset. It's to shape our plans. It's to shape the things that we do and the things that we say. If the Lord's will, we will do this and we will do that. But I think there's another point in verse 15. It's this. When he says, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this, we will do that, he's teaching this that God is ultimately in control. That God is sovereign. Do you believe that God is sovereign in your life? Even in the oops of life? the difficulties in life, the challenges of life, the things that you didn't get right, the things that you don't think are right? Do you trust the Lord for redirecting you in a way that will honor and glorify Him in a way that's powerful? God protects us, but He's also in control of all things in our life, the good and the bad, and He ordains our steps. He guides and directs our steps. He takes us on a path ultimately to conform us into the very image of Jesus Christ. So I was thinking about this. My mind went to the book of Isaiah. And the prophet Isaiah, you don't have to turn there, but I just want to turn to a couple of places. In the book of Isaiah, one of the things in the book of Isaiah is this, that God sets himself up with, through Isaiah the prophet as being, I am the Lord. There are no other gods before me. And the reason we know that he says that I am the Lord because he knows the future. All of those idols, all of those other so-called idols, they do not know the future. And when you look at the book of Isaiah, it talks about God knowing the future, knowing exactly what's going on. Isaiah chapter 41, let me just read this. It says, and the people are bristling at this. They're bristling at this. Lord, what's going on here? Why are we in this predicament? Why are we suffering? Isaiah 41 says this, present your case, says the Lord. Set forth your argument, says Jacob's king. Bring in your idols and tell us what is going to happen. Tell us what the former things were so that we may consider them and know their final outcome. Or declare to us the things to come. Tell us what the future holds so that we may know that you are the gods. Over and over and over, God says, I know the future. I'm ultimately in control of all things. Do you believe that the Lord is in control of your life? Are you giving yourself to him? Are you trusting your life to him? I could give you another Isaiah chapter 45. The same principle is there. 
God is moving in a way that he is ultimately in control of our life. So when we get up every day, we ask the question, if it's the Lord's will that I'm doing this, Lord, I'm going to give myself to you. I'm going to trust you for who you are and what you've done in my life. And I'm going to make my plans a little bit loosely, knowing that you ultimately are in control of my life and that you will guide and direct even the bad things, even the messes that come into my life. As I give myself to you and as I trust you for who you are and what you've done for my life. So, Life doesn't always go according to our plan. We submit ourselves to the Lord. We live our lives under the umbrella of giving ourselves to the Lord. And the last thing is this. We need to act. We need to act accordingly. We need to act according to what God would have us do. Look at verse 17. Notice what he says. Anyone then, speaking to not just them, but, but anyone, anyone listening, anyone then who what? Who knows the good to do, who knows the good he ought to do, and doesn't do it, what? Sins. The book of James is about being a doer of the word. He wants us to be a doer of the word. He wants us to people to what? To respond, to go on, not just sit and make plans. Hey, there's widows out there. There are poor people out there. Feed them, help them, work out with them. When you see a brother or sister in need, what I want you to do is you need to not close your eyes. You need to respond. You need to do good to them. When you see somebody who comes into your church and they're not dressed appropriately like we would think, what you need to do is not close your heart to them. We need to be a doer of the word. And that's what he's saying here. Be people who act, respond. Knowing who God is, knowing the nature, the character of God, knowing that framework, and now go out and step out in faith and trust him for where he is. Listen, you don't know what God's doing in your life to the ups, the downs, the interruptions, the challenges, the people in your life. You have no idea how you will touch someone in your life. And what James wants us to do is, listen, be open. Be open to the interruption. Don't be arrogant. Don't be so prideful that you think you know what's going on. You know what God's plan is for a person's life. When God maybe is working ways that you cannot think, see, or imagine. By the way, that's Ephesians chapter 3. To do things and accomplish things that are mighty and powerful. Be open to the leading of the Holy Spirit in life, to the difficulties, challenges, interruptions in life so that we can serve Him. So what I want to do is I want to close with an illustration. It's kind of a long illustration, but some of you will remember this. In 1995, they made a movie called Mr. Holland's Opus. It was with Richard Dreyfus, And the, the story is like this. Richard Dreyfus, Mr. Holland's Opus. Mr. Holland, he, he's, got this, he's got this musical that he's writing. And his goal, his ultimate desire is to write this opus. I'm going to write this musical. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to go off to Broadway and I'm going to have this thing published. And I'm going to make a lot of money. This is the, this is the goal of my life. This is the, the thing that I want to do. Only he's a teacher. And all of a sudden, as a teacher, things get in the way of him writing his opus. Son's born deaf. And he doesn't have enough time to write his opus. So a year comes, and two years comes, and three years comes, and five years comes, and ten years. And all the time, all of these things can keep interrupting his plans while he wants to write this opus, this musical that will radically change his life. And then he gets toward the end of his life, and he's been at the school 40 years. Now they're making budget cuts he didn't see coming. They're making budget cuts, and they're saying, listen, I hate to say this, but the musical department, we're getting rid of it. You're not going to have it anymore. And he's hurt. He spent years trying to invest in the lives of all of these students over the years, and it seems like nobody really cares about his life. So it's the last day of school. He's getting ready to leave, and he walks into the, he walks into the school. I don't know if you know if you know. He walks into the school, and he's cleaning out his locker. He's 40 years he's been there. He's getting all of his stuff, and he's, here's this, here's music. It's coming from like the gym or the auditorium. It's like, what in the world is going on? 
He walks in and he walks in and he sees all of these people and all of the people gathered in the auditorium were his former students, all the people that he had taught over the 40-plus years of being a teacher. And here he was teaching them about music, but he was teaching them something else. He was teaching them about life. And at the end of his days, they come back to honor him. And this is what one of the young girls says when she stands up. Before they played, uh, Gertrude Lang stood up and said, Mr. Holland had a profound influence on my life and a lot of the lives I know. But I have a feeling that he considers a great part of his own life misspent. Rumor has it he was always working on this symphony of his. And this is what was going to make him famous, rich, and probably both. But Mr. Holland isn't rich and he isn't famous, at least not outside of our little town. So it might be easy for him to think that himself was a failure, but he would be wrong because I think that he's achieved a success far beyond riches and fame. Look around you. There is not a life in this room that you have not touched and each of us is a better person because of you. We are your symphony, Mr. Holland. We are the melodies. We are the notes of your opus. We are the music of your life. Goal, musical. That's my goal. And God brought all of these other people in his life. And over a period of 40 to 45 years, he simply invested in his life doing the best that he can. We go about our purposes, we go about our plans, and God works in a way that we cannot think or imagine, using you to touch someone who's suffering, using you to, to use a resource that you have, using you to help comfort. God uses us, and what he wants to remind us is to live wisely. Listen, make plans wisely. Don't leave me out of the equation, and don't leave my purpose and my plan out of the equation, because ultimately, life is about honoring and glorifying the Lord and who he is. So that's our challenge from the book of James, wisdom from the book of James. Maybe life's not going the way that you wanted it to. Maybe God's taking you on a, on a detour. Trust him for the detour. Trust him for the difficulty. Trust him for the challenge. And don't ignore him, but point yourself in the direction of the Lord, and he will guide you, and he will direct you, and he will lead you through his word and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for this life, and I thank you for the great privilege you have of trusting you in the difficulties and the challenges of life, Lord. Father, I know that in my own life, things are going on that nobody knows except for you going on in my family. And Lord, I believe that's probably true of every person in this room. Something has happened in their life that has caused them to move a little bit off center. And Father, what we simply want to do is we want to ask that you would guide and direct us, that you would lead us, that you would give us the wisdom that we need to navigate through life as we look to you and as we trust you for who you are and what you would have for our lives. Father, thank you for the life of Jesus. Though at times he looked like he was misdirected, ultimately you used him in all those circumstances to glorify you. Father, I ask these things in Jesus' name.